All right, that was uh, springtime for Hitler in Germany and uh, from the move of the producers. Let me get rid of this. <clears throat> and springtime is definitely a theme today. I've got the Rite of Spring in the background here, the beautiful illustration by Nicholas Rorick, one of uh, Steve Crimmie's favorite artists and mystics. So, uh, yeah, a little, little, uh, little irreverence here to get the day going. Speaking of reverence, Here's the reverend of your reverence, the high priest of the orange purr. Of course, I'm talking about Jasper. I'm not going to lift you up here. If you want, if you want to be in the show, you have to, you have to just assert yourself. Come on. Yeah, come on. Let's go. It's not that hard. There he is. The astrological cat is with us. He was not happy yesterday because they didn't have a show. He was, he was kind of a jerk yesterday a little bit later in the day he was uh he's got some weird kind of mafia thing going on with rosie's food right now so uh now hopefully maybe he can get his ego worked out and then he can be a little bit nicer today you weren't that nice yesterday i have to say another side of jasper that i hadn't seen before what's going on everybody thanks for being here it's uh 15 Minutes of Flame, and if you're listening to the podcast, welcome to the show. You could always be here at 15 Minutes of Flame. That's 15minutesofflame.com at 9-11 Central Standard Time, right here in the heart of Texas, in the Hill Country. And uh, we uh, broadcast, uh, well, six days a week here, although I did take Monday off yesterday, and uh, I'm kind of glad I did. I was fucking edgy yesterday. I had an edge. It was the Mars-Saturn conjunction. I was really feeling it. I, I think if I had had a show yesterday, I'd have gotten in trouble. Even though the Mars-Saturn conjunction is still happening, and I can still feel that edge a little bit. That's a that's a military aspect. That's a war aspect, the, the Mars-Saturn conjunction. And clearly, we got a war going on. And the war, who's, who's the war really against? Is it against the Ukrainians, or is it against the... Uh, American people. Maybe it's both, but clearly there's, there's a battle going on here. There is a battle on the streets of America. There's a battle for the soul of America. And uh, we, we've been in the trenches and in the pits for a while now. It's just becoming more and more obvious. So we're going to get into some of that today. We're going to look at Russia and try to pull the curtain back on what's really going on there, at least in terms of the, the global, the global thing, we're going to get into the global thing because it's a, uh, a lot of people think that Russia and China are working together to depose uh, the, uh, the powers that be right. Like, and then, and then the, the new axis of unevil would be Trump, China, and Russia. That's the new axis of unevil. And that everything that that's happening now is for the benefit of the American people. So now people send me information and which is fine. And I don't, I'm not here to, um, you know, diss or slander any of the people that send me the information because they're good people. And sometimes I get really good things sent to me when I, when they're really good, I share them with you and I provide attribution. Isn't that right, Jasper? Um, God, I really like this background. I might, I might use this for the rest of the week. It's really very pretty, isn't it? it? Just uplifts the mood. So, 
Um, I was sent something yesterday about how there is uh, a Chinese ship that is connected to Evergrande that has been run aground right outside of Baltimore. And it's the same company that had the ship that got stuck in the Suez Canal that, that, that uh, navigated the giant penis in the Suez Canal. I know. Well, I'm giving you some attention. What more do you want? Here, everybody's loving you right now from the other side. Just take that in. So supposedly this ship is there, has a nuclear weapon on it, okay? And uh, this is from Benjamin Fulford, that the nuclear weapon is set to go off and destroy Washington, D.C. Unless the Kazarian mafia gets out of, gets out of government. Okay, so let's just think about that for a moment. The, 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 one of the largest decapos, even though I still think he's a lieutenant and not a decapo, is Lawrence Fink of BlackRock. Okay, so who knows? Maybe, that, maybe the nuclear bomb threat to blow up Washington, D.C. might spook Chuck Schumer, might spook Mitch McConnell, might spook Lindsey Graham, might spook uh, Jerry Nadler. And maybe they'll evacuate Washington, D.C., or and maybe they'll get out of the country. Maybe. I'm just saying maybe. But what about people like Larry Fink of BlackRock, who's not even – it's like these people are bulletproof. And, and by the way, if a bomb went off and Washington, D.C. exploded, they'd be happy. And again, this is this is no slight whatsoever to the person that sent this to me because they're a fantastic, wonderful person, sending me a lot of good things. But I feel like you have to comment on this because this is part of the mindset that's out there right now. If they would love to have Washington, D.C. exploded, and then they could blame it on the Russians, and then they could uh, accelerate their, you know, their their fake boots on the ground war. So and and then it's so the the question that i ask right is well let's say this is true let's say china really has a vested interest in removing the kazari mafia aka the bankers the rothschilds people like larry fink and let's say it happens perfect world you know the the worms are consigned to and what do you do with these people too that's the other thing what do you do with them do you do you have do you have a, a a war crime trial for them? Where do they go? What what remember now, you're talking about one of the largest moneyed and privileged classes, not only on the planet, but likely in the history of the planet. The these are the modern day versions of King Solomon. That's right. And so they can influence just about any court, um, any any media outlet. That they want but let's just say for instance this does happen they go oh okay we're gonna we're gonna leave now so you have all these vacancies and all these major corporations and all these politicians leave then what and let, let's say there is a victory well, what's china gonna do do you think china's gonna flip its system to be straight capitalist go, you know we were just doing this to you know assuage our masters and the people who helped set this country up but now that they're gone we're going to be just like the United States and we're going to have 
fair elections, just like the United States. And we're going to get rid of the, uh, the national, uh, the national cover for our corporate businesses. Cause that's how China works. China is one giant corporation. Everything is state state run state sponsored with a private enterprise uh, widget built into it. Right. That's how China operates. You think they're going to give that up? And what about all the infrastructure for the social credit score that they've set up? Do you think that they're just going to, you know, that was a really good idea and we kind of had to do it for a while, but we're done with that. No social credit score. People can just go live their lives and they can become really good conspicuous consumers and they'll, we'll make a shit ton of money. And, you know, we have all this land in the Gobi desert and, you know, we'll reforest that and that's where everybody can go live. You think China's going to do that? This is a country now, Shanghai, where they've shut the whole city down and they're quarantining it just like they did with Wuhan. I don't think that's happening. Sorry, I don't think that's happening. I don't think... These entities live after their own self-interest. That's what they do. They live after their own self-interest. And if somebody else's um, interests get met along the way then, you know, all the better, I guess. But it's really about one set of interests. Oh, okay, well, this this is going to benefit you as well. Okay, well, fine, great. We'll do it. There's nothing wrong with that. I mean, people have to look after their own self-interest. And if they can benefit others along the way, it's not a bad model per se, but they look after their own self-interest first, whatever that is. It's like that Jay Guile song, First I Look at the Purse. You know, that's what, that's what they do. So I just don't see them dismantling. What about Russia? You know, this, this whole idea that, you know, Russia is doing this to clean out the bio labs and the adrenochrome and the tunnels and da, 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 da. And maybe there's some truth to that. And I think if they're doing it, they're probably doing it so that ultimately it can boomerang back to the United States and show that the United States has been the uh, country that has been involved in all of this uh, corruption and destruction. And, and guess what? We get, we get war crimes coming from the United States, right? I mean, maybe, maybe that's part of it. I personally don't think Vladimir Putin gives one shit about the American people. And I don't think Xi Jinping gives one shit about the American people. And if they do, it's somewhere down their hierarchy. It's somewhere down the hierarchy. It's not like, Oh, we're going to do this because these poor people in the United States, they're under the yoke of the international banking mafia and the, and the Khazarians, we're going to do this. And boy, we feel so happy and lucky to welcome them back into the great democratic fold. Because as you know, Russia and China are just, you know, bright and shining examples of democracy. So I think it's a bit problematic in my humble opinion a bit problematic. I, I don't think that they're working towards that end. Just one man's opinion. And I'm going to get into some Russia stuff to show you um, how, how and why Russia is deeply vested in it, not only its own evolution, but is also working, in my estimation, for the World Economic Forum to help destroy the United States of America, which is what Russia has always wanted to do. And I'm not a Russophobe, okay? I'm not a Russophobe, but you just look at everything post 
Stalin, it's all about been all, been all about burying the United States. And why do you think that that's changed? You think that maybe somehow uh, Putin did a bunch of mushrooms and MDMA somewhere in the Russian wilderness and found God and you know, had this bright and holy vision descend upon him and say, I'm going to liberate the people of the United States and I'm going to turn turn back from this desire to dominate and, and, and uh, occupy ideologically and politically our, our enemies, i.e. the West. Do you, you think that happened? I don't think it happened. And I'm not here to say that Ukraine is good and that we got to get in and back Ukraine. I'm not, I'm not saying that because I don't believe that shit. I believe that Ukraine and what happened in Ukraine was a complete setup and you know, it's evil. It's evil what they did to the people of Ukraine. We're talking about the neocons, you know, springtime and Hitler is really interesting. It's a very interesting concept. The producers is an interesting concept because in a lot of ways, it's like a micro model of the third Reich. You have these two guys, and I'm just going to be up front, blunt. They're Jewish, right? They're Jewish producers. And what they're trying to do is create the worst Broadway play ever. And, and how do they do it? Well, they're behind it, right? They're behind the creation. This is what I think Mel Brooks is actually talking about here with the producers. Who's behind the creation of the Third Reich? Who's behind the creation of Springtime for Hillary? You would think that it would be so outrageous that there's no way two Jewish producers could create something that would be completely vile and anti-Semitic. But that's really not the case. Because what they're doing is they're doing it so they can swindle a bunch of people who have invested in the play. And they want to create an absolute bomb. And so that's, that's the plot line behind the producers. And so they come up with this idea that they're going to be doing musical about the third Reich and Hitler. And it starts off just like how you saw the audience. They were like, you know, their eyes are, by the way, the first time I saw that, I laughed my ass off. I thought it was one of the funniest things I'd ever seen. I was a kid. And was I at the theater? I, I might've been at the theater when I saw that. It was fucking hilarious. And then they go to get the worst actor ever to play the role of Hitler. And that actor is, his name, his acting name is Dick Sean is his, uh, uh, his real name, right? Well, whatever his acting name was, but his name in the movie as an actor is Lorenzo St. Dubois, also known as LSD. And you can kind of get a, a feel for his character in the movie. It's a mad, mad world. He plays a very similar character in a mad, mad world. And in fact, they probably looked at that movie and said, we got to get is it Dick Sean and Dick Sarge? I always, get, I always get the two confused. He's a dick, okay? And so with this guy who's a complete, utter, you know, hippie head, stoner dropout as Hitler, they think that's just going to be the, the cherry on their shit icing cake. And guess what? It's not because he's funny. He's funny. And they, 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 have, they have a fly in the ointment. And all of a sudden, when the audience is about to just walk out on Moss, he hits the stage and they stop. 
and they they come back and they're they're kind of watching what's going on now uh zero mostel and uh gene what's his name they go to the bar and they're like toasting and they're thinking we pulled this shit off because they think it's the worst thing they've ever done Meanwhile, the audience is in stitches because it's the funniest damn thing they've ever seen. And it's unintentionally funny because Lorenzo St. Dubois is acting straight, which makes it all the more funny, right? So then there's intermission and they come back and they, well, they come to the bar and they're just like screaming about how good it is. And, um, the two producers are freaked out because that's not what their plan was. Now, now the play is going to be success and they've sold 50% shares to all these, all these old biddies. And now they're going to have to pay on those shares. So then the rest of the movie is about them trying to destroy the, the play and blow it up. Oh, really? So now they want to cover their tracks. They want to blow everything up because they created something that is a bit of a fallacy, right? And now that they're, they're, that the, they're getting caught, they want to blow everything up. And that's how the play unfolds. So it's this, it's this very interesting kind of microcosm of what happened during the Third World War or the Second World War. And that there are a number of people, and I'm in that camp, that saw what was going on in Russia, what was going on in China as being run essentially by the international banking community. And then who is really behind the third Reich? You look at, you know, the, the officers in the Luftwaffe and the SS Hitler's right and left-hand men are Jewish. I'm sorry, but that's true. So something is going on there that doesn't really pass the smell test. And including, but not excluding, other things that were going on was Hitler's strategy with Russia, which I've studied. And it was deeply flawed, deeply, deeply flawed. And, and when you go back and you look at the main skirmishes and battles, that every time the Germans had a victory, instead of moving on, Hitler pumped the brakes. And in fact, there were a number of Germans who were questioning his leadership in his orders on their uh, assault on Moscow. And some of them had to be called back, you know, from, from the front lines. And then they had to, uh, they were executed actually. So every time they would have a victory and they take a town, Hitler would pump the brake. And then what happened? They got stuck in the winter. And if they had kept going, they probably would have gotten there. And, they, and it also allowed the Russians to rally and they got a bunch of tanks from the United States or tanks that they built in Russia that were all United States parts, United States design. And the Russian tanks um, turned the tide. First, Russia had these really big tanks and they couldn't handle, like the German tanks were, they were nimble. And the Russians had these really big tanks and they were just, you know, cannon fodder. And then they got a new wave of tanks that were more like the German tanks and they could out, they could maneuver with the German tanks. And that was a big game changer. Also, Russia got an infusion of planes for the Air Force. 
So their ability to you know, have airstrikes and provide cover for their ground troops also increased. And this is because time is being bought for them. And they get to ramp up the industrialization of Russia during that time. So I think that what you're looking at with the producers is a microcosm and encoding of the Second World War. And um, uh, what's his name? Um, oh, man, I'm having a fucking senior moment. Mr. Mel Blazing Saddles guy. It's a little early. I didn't get enough sleep last night. Who's in the play, by the way. He's He says... Uh, he's one of the singers. Uh, be a smarty, come and join the Nazi party. Anyway, he's he's telling people what's going on. He's letting you know. A little show and tell there. All right, let's uh, let's get into Chatlandia or Chataria. Mel Brooks. Thank you, Brain. Oh, by the way, before we get going here, I, I don't want to forget this. A couple of announcements. Um, the Krimis talked about a, uh, an author who is trying to raise money to expose the George Floyd PSYOP. So I, you know, I haven't seen this. Why, why don't I play this? This is the uh, the video. Her name is uh, Mariam Heinen, uh, Hennen. Henine, I apologize, Miriam, if I'm uh, butchering your last name here, but uh, she's working on exposing the George Floyd psyop. She needs uh, 15 grand, and she's got to use this money to get all of these documents that you have to pay for. And this is real journalism, you know. You got to get in and get to the source documents. That's how. That's how. You can uncover things as a journalist. Let's watch this video. Let's see what this video is about. I'm sure it's good, but this will this will state her case, and maybe you'd like to help her out uh, so that she can get enough money and write a book and and uh, pull back the uh, the curtains on this thing. Third precinct is up in flames. We begin with breaking news in South Minneapolis. Caught on tape, a black man pinned to the ground, later dying after a white officer kneeled on his neck. It started with a report of a forgery in progress and ended with Floyd's death. The situation has become volatile at the third police precinct tonight. As police officers and protesters clash over a man's death. Miles from Minneapolis, anger, frustration pouring into the streets of America. I can't breathe! It all stems from this video.
You see your hands. You can act as an animal by me, y'all. Yeah. Man, I'm scared as fuck, man. You must have breathing. You must have breathing. It's gonna go off on me. I can't. I can't choke. I can't breathe, love it. That's it's my ass! He got a thing going on, I'm telling you what about this whole thing. We have problems. He's not move, not one time, bro! He's off track or not? But yeah, bro, go back in the store! What happened to him? Oh, Alright. They fucked him up! You took your ID? Yeah. What happened? Organic Cup Foods? Uh, Cup Foods, yeah. Uh, it was just a forgery report. The person that had given him a fake bill, we went over there and... Yeah, just... Plus bananas? Yeah. There you go. So if you feel like uh, donating 25 bucks or so to her cause, um, I'll leave the uh, Give, Send, Go link uh, in today's show. And I'll put it in chat right now. Right now. Speaking of chat, why don't we go there? Let's, uh, let's check in with the uh, best chat on the internet. Here's that link. Chatarians. Right there. Let's see. Who do we have in the house today? We've got Thomas Jordan. By the way, Tom has started his own Telegram channel called News with Views. Congratulations, Tom. I'm really happy that you're using the available technology. So uh, I guess you could go to Telegram and look for News with Views. I think it's a news kind of topical um, chat live stream experience. So congratulations, TJ. Uh, we got Ryan, the uh, introspective woodworker. He's checking in. Uh, Queen Lisa's here. And Wendy says, see Pines in the house. Uh, oh, good. Good, good. So I guess uh, Wendy's daughter has found an alternative healer to work with her. Fantastic. Good news. Sony. Howdy, Sony. Catherine Kramer checking in at 9.11 a.m. By the way, 9 minutes and 29 seconds, it's 9.11, right? With St. Floyd. Uh, let's see. What else do we have here? Uh, all of his shows on the Aries moon since I'm some Aries. I can't be any more Aries. Laugh out loud. The Aries moon. Yeah. Yeah. Yesterday it was edgy. I had that. The Mars Saturn conjunction was edgy. I had to, I had, I had a lot, I had a lot going on yesterday. Uh, good morning. Empath. What's happening. Good to see you. CC Jones in the house. Hello, Fran. Kelly B's here. Uh, yeah, that is really good news, Wendy. Congratulations. We're pulling for yeah, Gene Wilder. Thank you. Uh, let's see. Who else do we have? David Hawk. Wish I had a Hawk sound effect. I'd play it right now. Eee! Eee! Something like that. Uh, let's see. Who else do we have? Anybody? Anybody else? Anybody else? Anybody else? Anybody else? Anybody else? Uh, Chris and Steve. <clears throat> They're here. Maybe Jasper was reflecting my edge. Maybe he was. 
Oh, uh, let's see. Anybody else? Supposedly, Lieutenant, uh, an American Army Lieutenant General was captured in Mariupol yesterday. His name was Cloutier. Yeah, I saw that. Jasper and I do match colors today. Luckily, <laughs> Fulford has never been wrong. That is really funny. That's true. <clears throat> Jasper is sorry for yesterday. Anybody watching what is going on in Shanghai? It's pretty, pretty brutal. It's Wuhan 2.0. Hey, look who's here. It's Jay Kaiser, a.k.a. Gucci to goats. Sneaking up on her book release. Nicholas Grimm, checking in. There's my man, Steve. Steve, I'm going to reach out to you today. We've got to talk about a guest for Friday. We've had some good Friday shows last few weeks. Crimmies were great on Friday. By the way, it's God of Thunder. That's so funny. Uh, anybody else? Anybody else? I think going once. Oh, Michael, what's happening, my man? DJMC. And Renee, good morning. Hi, Renee, good morning. Scrubbies. Sea Pines. We got a good group here today. Anybody else? Timothy uh, Hartful, you're late, Robert. I've been clicking. I started at 9-11. Sorry, I've been here. I started at 9-10. Uh, Danny Cass recently interviewed Miriam. She has taken this story to many producers who all turned it down. Yeah, so let's, uh, let's support her. I want to get her on the show, too. She'd be a good guest. Christine, what's happening, Christine? San Diego showing up, representing, and equicentric from the back row. All right, I think we're in. Present and accounted for. Excellent. Excellent, excellent, excellent. I will set you up with Miriam later. Thank you very much, KNS. It's a KNS production. Let's get into the, um, oh, this is good. Gold, goats, and guns. Let's get into uh, this uh, this Substack uh, post by Edward Slavsquat. I don't know if that's his name or not, but this is the author of the piece. It's a good piece. I posted it on Facebook yesterday, and uh, we're going to get into it a little bit. And this talks about really who and what is behind Russia. And again, You can understand the political, the sociopolitical DNA of a country by how it treats its citizens. If, if they treat them in a tyrannical fashion. And look, I think sometimes people need hardish limits because what we're looking at in our system is a system without any limits. And it's a system that's just running, running rampant. So we need a few more limits here, but not so many that, you know, we're locked in our homes and forced to wear face diapers and threatened with 
uh, no service unless we produce some form of proof that we've genetically altered our bodies. Okay. So we've got our own version of it, but those are limits that are, I can get into this if I wanted to, right. Which is the, uh, it's really the Hegelian dialectic and the Hegelian dialectic of course is problem reaction solution, right? So the problem is not COVID. That's not the problem. The problem is that people have been activated to run amok and, uh, and, and be theoretical, uh, emotional threats, whatever stripe, you know, whatever, whether they're a red stripe or a blue stripe, that they've been activated, right? That's the problem. And there's, and theoretically on one side, there's, there's no boundaries. The other side is plenty of boundaries. If you're on the so-called right and you would try to do the things that the so-called left would do, we all know this, this is not rocket science. You'd be in jail. The same rules do not apply. Right. So this is set up in a lot of ways as a reaction to that. When I say this, I'm talking about um, the hardcore limits that were enacted during the summer of Floyd, which is also the summer of COVID. It's, it's a reaction. And then the solution ultimately is more control, right? So they create a system where <clears throat> the boundaries and the borders of what's acceptable also fueled by a culture of complaint and it's out of control, but they created that. And so what is the solution to that? Well, solution is, well, we need tighter control, whatever that tighter control is. And then what do they do? Well, they create something like COVID in order to do that. And the people who are the ones that help create that situation are also the ones who will enforce it the most. So, Let's get into uh, this whole Russia thing. Because I think it's interesting. So here's the piece. I, I posted it on Twitter yesterday. Yes, Russia is complicit in the Great Reset. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but I am going to go through some salient points. Now, this guy, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, either lives in Russia or he, he um, corresponds with somebody who... It's a doctor. Okay. Why don't we start right here? Personally, I don't think you can separate the virus scam from the Great Reset. As Herr Schwab famously declared, the pandemic represents a rare but narrow window of opportunity to reflect, reimagine, and reset our world. Did Russia take advantage of this opportunity? Of course it did. See, this is what I'm trying to illuminate, is that Russia was tyrannical with its people. Not only that, but they were on the same timeline and the same Blitzkrieg program as America, the United States, and even worse, so let's go, let's go through this a little bit here. 
Of course, he did. Russia used this phony health crisis to shred the social contract between government and citizens and pursue unprecedented digital surveillance and control over its population. It, this is the, the country that you believe is going to be the savior of the West. Let's look at this a little more. The innovation according to which students, Moscow authorities proposed to introduce a face recognition system in schools. Oh, that sounds just democratic and freedom-loving, doesn't it? The innovation according to which students and teachers will be allowed into educational institutions only after biometric authentication is planned to be introduced in 2022. Russia's anti-human COVID policies destroyed countless businesses, caused severe disruptions to education, and deprived people of routine medical care. Does that sound familiar to you? It should. Amid the greatest socioeconomic catastrophe to befall Russia since the breakup of the Soviet Union, Spare and other large Russian companies partnered with the World Economic Forum to accelerate the country's fourth industrial revolution. The organization that hosts Russia's Center for the Fourth Industrial Revolution, which still exists, but has removed the WEF logo from its website, Anno Digital Economy, continues to lift, list WEF international cooperation as one of its main missions. One month ago, your humble Moscow correspondent typed up an article. I think this is him. Titled, Russia is rapidly adopting QR codes. How does this end? In it, we argued that the Russian government was using a slow boil strategy that would likely result in the same vax caste system de being deployed across the world. Sanctions have forced the WF to cut formal ties with Russia. What does this divorce actually mean? Russia will have a central bank We'll, we'll have a central bank digital currency, a facial recognition control grid, vaccine passports, and genetic IDs. The social and economic reset is still on. It's a great reset without the WEF logo. The special operation in Ukraine is not a rebellion against virus-inspired technocracy and biosecurity theater. Actually, we would expect new draconian controls and regimentation in, in Russia and all over the world. In the name of public health, national security and economic stability because they really care about us. The green check mark that cares for all Russians, it's a, it's a proven fact that economic conferences are massive snooze fests where nothing of consequence said or done. The real talk occurs in dimulate rooms where central bankers and corporate monopolists smoke sour apple vapes as they plot the global enslavement of every living creature and grain of sand. And of course, the COVID scamming continues without interruption. On April 1st, Russia registered the world's first intranasal vaccine based on unproved, unproven genetic slurry. On March 30th, it was announced that Russia and Kazakhstan will soon sign an agreement on the recognition of COVID vaccination passports. Alexander Ginsburg, the Anthony Fauci of Russia, recently revealed he would begin testing his unproven and unnecessary Sputnik M shot on children aged 6 to 11. He also said Russian children should get revaccinated every six months and so on. All of this is useless, depraved, and anti-human. Meanwhile, some of Russia's leading technocrats and COVID scammers have been appointed to a newly formed commission tasked with protecting the country's economy from Western sanctions. Members of this committee include clot shot psychopath, Tatiana Golikova, 
Dmitry Chernyshenko, the deputy prime minister who heads WEF-linked ANO, Digital Economy, and Sergei Sobyanin, the man who wants to make Muscovites, wear implantable devices that calculate health insurance payments. This is what's going on in Russia, our so-called liberators. As I argued during the panel discussion, I believe we are witnessing the formation of at least two distinct blocks that use the same type of technocracy and biosecurity to make life intolerable. Moroshko said that virtual BRICS Center will help quickly to respond to bio threats. The first vaccines against COVID-19 were developed and tested in the BRICS space. This underlies the importance of continuing active work in this direction, the Minister of Health stressed. On March 22nd, TASS reported the opening of a new BRICS Center for Research and Development of Vaccines, which will be used to quickly respond to biological threats and ensure the protection of participating countries. Russian Health Minister Mikhail Moroshko, who compared vaccine passports to a new clothing style, helped praised he praised on the new initiative. The first vaccines against COVID-19 were developed and tested precisely in the BRICS space. And this underlies how important it is to continue active work in this direction, he said. Sorry, but this isn't reassuring, especially if you're familiar with the Russian government's close partnership with Big Pharma. Don't forget, this is important. Read, I'm going to read this, this section here. Don't forget, AstraZeneca and other friendly Western drug companies have vowed to stay in Russia as the Kremlin takes on the globalists. So the, the, the big drug companies, big pharma, they're still there. Isn't that interesting? The Kremlin Big Pharma Alliance. Uh, so by so there's, there's another article baked in here. It talks about AstraZeneca, the University of Oxford, hailing the agreement, Alexei Repek, chairman of the directors of R Pharma. Anyway, let's get into a little bit of this here. A final comment before I get to my Sputnik V nasal booster. This is Tom Luongo, who's supposedly this boy genius when it comes to geopolitics. Anyway, he's, bang, he's banging the Russia drum, and uh, this author is taking him on. I'm going to skip ahead here. So Kirill Dmitriev, we're going to get into Kirill Dmitriev. And the reason why we're going to get into this is because Essentially, Tom Luongo says that, that the Russian vaccine, the Sputnik vaccine, was a disruptor and was a roadblock to the global dominance of the vaccines that were being promoted by the World Economic Forum. And he quotes an article from RT as the source for this. Well, the article for in RT was written by Kirill Dmitriev, who's a... <laughs> who's a leader, young global leader for the World Economic Forum. Look at that, Jake, gold, goats, and guns. So Sputnik, Sputnik V answered questions, questions answered. Head of team financing world's first COVID-19 vaccine explains formula to critics. Well, let's just look at Kirill Dmitriev, BA in economics, Stanford University, MBA, Baker School, Harvard Business School, Reagan, or was it Reagan or Began? Began. Began Center uh, be, began. I'm sorry, my, I'm sorry. Began. Simple English, Robert. Uh, began career at Goldman Sachs in McKinsey. I don't have my glasses. These are, these are my backup glasses. I'm going to blame it on my glasses. Uh, began career at Goldman Sachs and uh, McKinsey and Company. Firmly managed large private equity funds and completed a series of landmark transactions for Russia. 
Since 2011, Chief Executive Officer, RDIF member, BRICS and APEC business councils. These are all these things that we talked about on Friday with Steve and Chris, where it is almost humanly impossible for one person to be involved in all these different things, doing all these different projects all simultaneously. A lot of them are just, they're just shills. That's all they are. They're, 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 they're just shills and um, they're frontest pieces. That's all they are. Maybe they do one or two things. Maybe they go to a few conferences. Maybe they write a few papers. Maybe they have some papers written for them, and then they present the papers. But for them to do all these things is almost humanly impossible, which we've talked about. So this guy is like in deep, right? But you can see the formula here. This is somebody who is in a fairly high position in the hierarchy of Russia's biopharmaceutical security governmental socioeconomic implementation. What does he do? He's, he's educated in the West. He goes to Stanford, cuts his teeth. He gets more education at Harvard and he cuts his teeth at Goldman Sachs. That is the formula for globalism. Those are your pit stops for globalism. Oh, you may get another school somewhere along the way, possibly Yale, possibly Georgetown, right? Maybe Oxford. It's a very op bad op-ed, by the way. I inspected Dimitriev's fanciful claims in an article published by the Brownstone Institute. The Kremlin has batted away criticism of Sputnik V's hypersonic development and roll out by highlighting the Gamalaya Center's previous successes with developing viral vector vaccines. So this is important. This is real journalism, by the way. For example, Kirill Dmitriev, the Harvard-educated ex-Goldman Sachs banker who heads the Russian Direct Investment Fund, which provides financing for Sputnik V, claimed in September 2020 op-ed that Russia has benefited from modifying uh, for COVID-19 an existing two-vector vaccine platform developed in 2015 for Ebola fever, which went through all the phases of clinical trials and was used to help defeat the Ebola epidemic in Africa 2017. So essentially what he's saying is that, hey, we got this Ebola vaccine, Let's just fuck with it a little bit. Let's tweak it up and we'll we'll make it so that it can work for people who have COVID. Okay. Well, how effective was that vaccine in Africa where Ebola theoretically was rampant? Well, let's find out. Actually, only about 2,000 people in Guinea received Gamalaya's Ebola vaccine in 2017, 2018 as part of a phase three clinical trial. Typically, phase three trials involve tens of thousands of participants and often require half a decade or more of meticulous data collection and monitoring. The modest scope of the trial was complemented by its very curious timing. Guinea was declared Ebola-free in 2016. So in 2017, they're showing up and saying, hey, we got the cure for Ebola, even though it's not happening. There's a reason for that. And it remained that way for five years. Contrary to Dmitriev's creative prose, there was no Ebola epidemic in need of defeating. And when, when Gamalaya scientists arrived in Guinea in 2017 to be in small-scale tests of their experimental shot, Gamalaya's Ebola shot is currently only registered with Russians, Russia's health ministry, which operates the institute. In a September interview with Forbes Russia, Ina Dolzhikova, my Russian pronunciation isn't bad today, for not getting enough sleep, who helped develop Sputnik V, argued there was no reason to seek international approval for Gamalaya's Ebola vaccine because there had been no large outbreaks requiring inoculation. 
against the deadly virus. So they're basically saying, eh, it's got to be effective. We haven't had to use it. Not quite. Ebola reemerged in Guinea in February of this year. Gee, I wonder why. Prompting the African nation to undergo an emergency vaccination program. Gamalaya's proven viral vector platform was conspicuously MIA, suggesting its Ebola shot had hit a dead end. Hmm. Before launching Sputnik V into orbit, Gamalaya repeatedly failed to send an approved drug beyond Russia's own borders. The Institute's first attempt at a vector adenovirus, Adivac flu, resulted in a multi-million dollar embezzlement scandal. So you see what's going on here? Russia is up to its pineal gland, up to its third eye in this whole vaccine scam, the whole QR code scam. They're active participants in it, and their citizens are the ones that are feeling the brunt of this. So are they really the liberators of the West? I don't think so. They're looking after their own self-interest, and they're playing... They're playing the role of destroying the West because now the ruble is strong and the dollar is starting to go down in flames. They're doing exactly what they're being told to do, which is help destroy the West. And yeah, you know, maybe they can get part of Ukraine back and there's, there certainly is a war theater going on there. I'm not going to dispute that. But that's what they're genning up, right? Ultimately, I don't believe that Vladimir Putin's main goal is to take down the evil oligarchs because the evil oligarchs are part and parcel. The evil oligarchs are the pharmaceutical companies. That's who they are. And they're still there. They haven't been kicked out. So I just wanted to bring that up because I think it gives us an insight into what's really going on there, at least as much as we can garner. Because they're, if, they're, if their intentions were to be a real roadblock to the fourth industrial revolution and Klaus Schwab and all that shit, they wouldn't have gone along with the program. They would have said, you know what? Fuck you. We're cool. We're good. We're not going to vaccinate people. We don't really have COVID here. And they could have controlled that. They could, they could have controlled the, um, the press around it. And would that have made them even more of a villain than they're supposedly, they supposedly are now? I mean, look, they did all the things that they were supposed to do with COVID. And they're still, you know, getting the, you know, the, the devil horns. So even that didn't matter. Anyway, I just wanted to bring that into the discussion because I thought it was, um, worth talking about. And so if Russia theoretically is not on our side and China is theoretically not on our side, then who is on our side? Well, that really is the big question now, isn't it? Well, you're going to be on our side. I'm going to be on our side. And whoever else is doing their best to awaken 
and put their feet on the ground and their hearts open and anchor to some kind of spiritual um, foundation, that's who's going to be on our side. People who want to be independent and interdependent, the, the, that's who, who's on our side. And if somebody is really, really, really prominent in the media and they're supposedly on our side, you should think once or twice or three times about that. And I'm not here to, again, this people, you know, I'm trying to, I've tried to be supportive of other people who are doing this kind of work because there are people who are doing this kind of work who do need support and they, they do need to uh, be recognized. So I don't want to diss them. And there are other people who are doing this work who are gatekeepers. I guess uh, Stu Peters had his place swatted. Is that the new, is that the new home parlor game is the SWAT game. Somebody calls up, alerts the police and something as weird is going on. And then the police show up. I guess that happened with the Tim pool like five times. I think he did one himself, if I'm not mistaken. There was a weird package on his doorstep. And so he called the cops on that weird package. I think they're moving now. I think they're leaving the West Virginia compound or Virginia, wherever, wherever they're living. So there are people out there who do do good work. Like that guy who just did the Substack article, like Miriam Heinen, who is working on the George Floyd stuff. So there are good people. There are real journalists. There are real people out there who are doing their best to hold the line and hold a mirror up to the world so that you can see it. It's not usually the people that you think are doing that. Anyway, Stu Peters got swatted. Not a huge Stu Peters guy. Just saying. Apparently, he's working on a, a documentary with some of his people where they're um, talking about how COVID was in the water supply and not the air. I don't have a problem with that. Remember how the Obamas were telling everybody to drink a lot of water? Oh, you got to drink a ton of water. Why do we have to drink all that fucking water? Especially that Dasani shit, which doesn't doesn't freeze. What's in that? Probably antifreeze. All right. Coffee done. So there are people who do good work. And there are people who are... They're, they're gatekeeping. And I, for me, any, anytime somebody comes out of nowhere, I'm always like, what's up with this person? And Stu Peters meets that criterion. He was a bounty hunter and a rapper. And then he was on this weird little uh, talk platform, which I did a, I did a false, a false, I did a deep dive on. I was looking at false, false, uh, false Messiah. Um, let me see if I can reconstruct this a little bit. The Stu Peter show, Red Voice Media. Okay, here we go. And I'm just doing this so I can, um, 
to show you kind of where he's been and how, how meet our team. Uh, the Stu Peter show. Okay, so Stu Peters is not in the about section. They've removed him. So you have, um, let's meet the team. The team is Ray Dietrich and Zach Heilman. That's not the entirety of the team. I can tell you that right now. Let's see if I can find this again. Here we go. He's got his own Wikipedia page. How about that? Okay. Not a lot of... So Mike Lindell sponsors the Stu Peter show. So Stu Peters was apparently at America first political action conference where he called for Anthony Fauci to be lynched by hanging and for Vernon Jones to be executed by electric chair before being rebuked by conference organizer, Nick Fuentes. So Nick Fuentes rebukes Stu Peters. Oh, that is really funny. Um, he was part of this show. Now it's hard to find. I'm trying to find it. WealthySpy.com. Oh, there's his red voice bio, which you can't find anymore. Bail investigator, canine handler. Okay. So Mojo 5.0 radio. This is where he started in 2020. And this is the place where I was doing the dive in. Now, I had never heard of this station or, you know, their platform. So this is where Stu Peters uh, got his start. Mojo 5.0. So it's an interesting little background here, right? First Amendment radio. Um, about us. Corporate news. Let's look at that. So let's see who I'm trying to get into the, uh, the people that run this site. 
become a sponsor in memoriam. So this website is connected to blaze TV because I went through the various channels. Like who are these people? Right? So this is what, this is what launched Stu Peters. It was like a, It was like a, a crock pot, his incubator, who's on this thing. Let's look at the shows. Uh, Liberty Lighthouse, Tin Can Radio, Damn It with Beaver, Abnormal Realities with Ron and Rochi, At the Mic with Keith Malinak. I don't know who any of these people are. The Lee Brothers. Um, Last of the Analog Kids. I guess they're getting some views. Politically Correct Radio, Stu Peters. Okay, we can see where he's coming from. Conservative's Perspective. Cowboy Logic Radio. I don't know who any of these people are. American Canuck Radio, the Divine Intervention Radio. So this is a network, black man thinking, eh, 2,000 people supposedly looked at that, 44 loves, one comment. The amount of comments here is quite telling. One comment, zero comments, one comment, 24 comments. Who's that, Brad Staggs? Zero, one, zero, 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 two, three, zero. Did Stu Peters get any? He's got zero comments. So without getting bogged down too much, getting too into the weeds, I went into this radio station and I actually found a person that is connected to both the Stu Peters show and this radio station. And if I'm not mistaken, um, they're on the board of um, Blaze TV or they have a, a fairly high position within Blaze TV. So you can follow the breadcrumbs from Stu Peters to Blaze TV. And then when I looked at where you go back to the Stu Peters site, Red Voice. So when I looked into Red Voice Media to find out, you know, who is behind it and you know, try to try to see some discernible links, right? The breadcrumbs. I specifically focused on the guy who supposedly is, a he is the head of it. And that is this um, Ray, Ray, Ray Dietrich. Ray Dietrich. So let me show you his picture. So I looked into this, right? And it, apparently the the home office the corporate office is in Arizona and it's North of Scottsdale. So I looked it up on Google earth and it's in a, like an industrial park. And I don't think the office itself is really all that big, but what was interesting was a building that was adjacent to the office, took up a lot of space. It was probably a, I'm not sure it's still there, but it was at one point, like the Keystone Tenant. 
And it was this company that was clearly part of the military industrial complex. And when I went in, into that company, they provided all of these military services from strategic services to logistic services to, it was kind of this one-stop shop. I'm like, oh, that's interesting. It's right next to the corporate office of Red Voice Media. Gee, what's going on here? So I think Stu Peters is DIA. And I've thought that for a while now. Can you get something useful out of Stu Peters? Sure. I'm sure you can. Just like you could probably get something useful out of Alex Jones. Or you can get something useful out of Cliff High. I mean, there are people who will um, share useful information. It's the rest of the stuff that you have to sort through. It's like a box of cat litter, right? You, you have to sort through the cat shit in order to, you know, have the rest of the litter be, you know, usable. So if you can sort through the cat shit with some of these sites, then you, you'll be fine. Just don't take the cat shit as being a nugget of information. It's not. So just use your discernment, right? I'm not telling you to not watch Stu Peters or not watch Alex Jones. You can watch whatever you want to watch. Just use some discernment. And if you've been watching this show long enough, you know that that's what I preach. And, you know, my challenge is that when I see somebody that's really good and is, and is on it, you know, my challenge is, okay, I have to lessen my discernment window and really support, you know, this individual or these people that are really doing this good work. And when I, and when I find that, I do my best to do that. But nobody's perfect. I really like Jason Whitlock. He's not perfect. I think he's really flawed on some of the historical stuff with Martin Luther King and Rosa Parks. I've talked about it. I don't want to get into it. But I think he's, does that mean I'm not going to watch his show? No, I'll watch his show. Because I'm getting other things out of his show. When I, when I listen to that, I'm going, eh. He also has this weird fetish for lesbian basketball players and coaches. I don't know what that's about. But other than that, he's got a great show. He's got great guests. And Royce White is just another level. And last night on his show, Royce White was like fucking hypersonic. And Jason had to stop him. And Jason had to ask him the meaning of certain words. Okay, now Jason's smart. He's a journalist. He knows. He's got a pretty good vocabulary. Royce White is like Jordan Peterson level vocabulary. And the way Royce White is able to frame things on the fly is really impressive. Really, really impressive. Like he's one, I, Royce White, Royce White is really one of the brightest voices right now in this space because of his ability to just, you know, hit the button and go and bring everything to a much larger level, much larger, like Jason is almost bewildered when when Royce White is done. I mean, if I were Jason and I'm having Royce on, right, you got to get your track shoes on with that guy. You can't, you know, Jason's a Taurus. So I think he has Mercury and Gemini though, which means he's able to kind of dance with this stuff. But 
you, when you have somebody like that and they're on your show, you, you have to kind of match their cadence or match their, their vibration or their pitch to the best of one's ability or else you'll just be left in the dust. You know, and then Jason gets into this hierarchical relationship with people. Now he's looking up at Royce White, which he shouldn't be doing. So anyway, I still like him though. Just because there are things about a show that I'm not always a fan of doesn't mean I don't participate and listen to him. But there are other people that are like that, like Pockets of the Future. I like a lot of his content. I don't agree with him with everything. But, I, you know, I like a lot of his content. It's entertaining. I see Pockets of the Future. And sometimes he'll break things down in a way that is, is uh, you know, reasonable. But because I don't agree with him certain things, I mean, I'm not going to watch his content. No, it's, that's not true. I was like that with Tim Pool for a while, but I just can't watch Tim Pool anymore. All right. So another thing I wanted to talk about is technology. And I'm going to tomorrow. So uh, tomorrow and Thursday, right? So tomorrow's Wednesday. Then we got Thursday the next day. I'm going to use both of those shows to go back and look at the manifesto of Ted Kaczynski because I've been listening to it. There's a three and a half hour podcast where somebody's reading the entire manifesto. He's hit Ted, that manifesto hits on every single cylinder. It's an important work. And it talks about where we are now and how we got here. So well, I'm going to look at uh, the Ted Kaczynski stuff for the next two days. And I'm going to get right into it from the jump. It's worth listening to whatever you think of Ted Kaczynski his tactics, whoever he was, what he lays down in the manifesto clearly illustrates where we are and how we got here. So one of the things he talks about is technology and that technology is really the evil. It's really the evil and it's technology that's created this world that we're living in, which is bifurcated, separated, polarized, filled with misinformation, disinformation. It's been weaponized, right? He talks about all this stuff. And, and, you know, here I am, I'm using it, but of course I'm using it because it's here, it's available. So I'm going to do my best to dispel the spell. That's kind of what I do. What other people do? Theoret theoretically. So when I was looking at that, that expose on Russia and vaccines and, and then we were talking about Metabiota on Friday with Stephen Chris. And I began to think about innovation. It's like, what, what happened to innovation? Innovation got, um, became microscopic. Innovation got shrunk. That's what happened with innovation, right? Innovation, instead of being like out here in the physical world that we could touch, that theoretically would, would make our lives better, theoretically, of course, Kaczynski, it would only make our lives worse, but we'll just play devil's advocate here that there could be some interesting technology that can make our life better. Maybe there could be cheaper power, freer power, whatever that thing is, right? That would be in the physical world. Well, they stopped. They stopped with this, you know, the black cube. That's where they stopped. At least here in the macro world, but did they stop innovating? No. They started to innovate in the micro world with RFID chips, 
nanoarrays, macrophages, mRNA technologies to insert themselves into your genes, right? That's where the innovation took place. They're like, we're going to innovate and we're going to innovate on a microscopic scale. So you can't fucking see it. And it's not going to benefit you unless we deploy it inside of you. Then you'll be the innovation. You'll be the new technology. You'll be the hardware and you'll be the software. And that's what's happened. They just decided to go hidden in plain sight. That's what happened with technology and innovation. And it's a fucking evil genius plan because they're still innovating. The CRISPR genes, the CRISPR technology. I mean, all the stuff that goes along with it. Charles Lieber, the nano arrays, the chaff from the sky, you know, what, what, whatever they've set this thing up, the, mic, the, the frequencies that you can see as well, right? That's another form of innovation. You can't see it. It's not there. It's not tangible, but it's interacting with everything else I just talked about. So they've been on a fast track for innovation, but it's nothing tangible, nothing physical, unless it comes to you in the form of a hypodermic needle and uh, form of hypodermic needle. Then all of a sudden it becomes tangible and physical. And then you become the interface from the microscopic evolution of technology into the macroscopic like receptor of technology. You become the new technology for better or worse. That's what they did. It's fucking evil genius. Because theoretically, right? Humanity is supposed to innovate. Humanity is supposed to be on a, on a path of novelty. And when I say innovate, I'm not even talking about hardware or software. Relationships can be innovative. How you interact with a person can be innovative. Your approach to living can be innovative, right? So that gets into the realm of novelty and complexity, which we have isolated to be a technological operation. Novelty and complexity isn't just technological. Novelty and complexity is inter, interpersonal. And that's really what theoretically, you know, God and, and, and the prime creator wants, wants novelty, wants complexity, you know, wants this creation to demonstrate through the application of love and imagination, what we're capable of and what happened that got hijacked. And yet, because the innovation is happening, it is still proceeding along these lines of being like a, a metaphysical law, right? That's what it, that's what it, that's what it looks like. That's what it feels. It's like, okay, we are still going to be novel and complex, but we're just not going to show it to you. And by the way, when we do show it to you or do give it to you, it's going to be on our terms and you'll get the technology but it's not really going to improve your life, even though we'll say it is. It'll make your life a hell of a lot more difficult. Now, I didn't watch the uh, NC2A championship game last night, and I've been trying to find um, some information, but apparently one of the, there was a player from North Carolina that collapsed. And when I looked for it, I was actually taken back to last year where there was a player from Florida and a very good player, by the way, one of Florida's, I think it's Florida state, the Seminoles, one of their best players collapsed during a game. Hasn't played basketball since then. And this is a guy who had aspirations of being a professional basketball player. Could have been, he was that good. 
And now he's trying to figure out if he should take an insurance policy for $5 million. Because if he takes that policy, he can't play pro basketball. And then insurance policy kicked in for him as a student. It's part, it's part of his student insurance at uh, Florida State. So if he takes the payout, no NBA for him. Five million, you think $5 million is a lot of money? It's not a lot of money. It's not. You can blow through five, you can blow through $5 million really quickly. I mean, it's $100,000 a year, right? So you've got what? 10, so what is that? 10, what, what is that? 100000 so a million dollars, you have to spend $100,000 a year for, for what, 10 years? So I guess, what, is that 50 years, $100,000 a year? Well, you know people are going to spend more than that. Plus there's taxes. So you just cut that in half. Right? So instead of 25, so it'd be 25 years, break it down to maybe 20 years. He's 20 years old. 21. That lasts him until he's in his early 40s. And then what? If he spends at that clip, right? Not that much money when you think about it. Now, if you get to be 70 years old, and you get $5 million. Well, now you're in hog heaven, theoretically, because you're on the clock, right? You don't have to worry about, well, I got to parse this out for the next 95 years. Make sure I don't go over that $100,000 mark. No, it's party city at that point. Okay, I'm about to get out of here. Um, so I hope we shed some light on this thing. So I, the whole pickled Messiah piece, it was just something I, you know, came up with it's kind of nonsensical and that's putin in the uh uh image there drinking hot vodka i've never had hot vodka it doesn't sound very good i really don't even like vodka when i drank it was not a, it was not a, a spirit that i imbibed by the way um so a big shout out to the ivory coast you know, I so I put this stream on the podcast network in the country that is ranked number five in terms of listens and downloads is the Cote d'Ivory. So Ivory Coast, if you're listening, a big shout out to you. You've actually gone past New Zealand and slightly ahead of Germany. So props. And also, uh, who else is pretty big there? Slovenia get a lot of get a lot of downloads and listens in Slovenia too which is cool so everybody supporting the podcast side of things thank you for doing that and um, you know we just put that up every day so that you can just listen because some people just like to listen it's like I don't want to look at that guy let's just listen to it all right I'm out of here thanks for being here thanks for being part of today's show as always, um, tomorrow. So I just, I just started a partnership with, uh, my, my friend, Chris, who has a business called true hemp science. And I've got to get into my website today and put up a link. And, uh, Chris has uh, some really great hemp products. I've known him for quite a long time. Um, and if you went to the first hill country gathering, he was there, and he provided some, you know, some hemp spritzers, which I thought were really cool. And he's got a whole array of hemp products. So we have a little discount code 
for you Chatarians. And um, I'll have the hemp, the true hemp science stuff up tomorrow here on this website. So if you're interested in getting, for me, the hemp sleep stuff is great. When I take it, it helps tremendously. And this is really, really high quality hemp products with some terpenes, some THC in there. So if you're looking for something that's, you know, on the medicinal side and help you with, you know, your aches and pains and um, maybe a little, little slight mood elevation or tweak, highly recommend it. So we're going to get Chris on the show as soon as I get all the, the linkage up and we'll do, we'll do a little um, meet and greet with him and talk a little bit more about his products. And yeah, it'll be a bald faced infomercial. I'm not going to lie to you, but Chris is a good guy. Um, and, and uh, he's been a friend and a client for a long time. And I want to support people who have independent businesses and especially here in the United States and particularly here in Texas. So we'll bring them on and uh, give them a shout. You guys, if you want to, can start availing yourself of, I think some of the best CBD products out there. He, he, he's also a sponsor of Crow 777 and Crow's people love his products. So I'm like, Chris, we got to do this. We got to get it together, man. All right. Thanks for being here. Uh, use your head in order to discern what's real, your heart to so what's possible. I'm Robert Phoenix. Take good care. Bye for now. And uh, stay free. See you.